All right, good. <laughs> good to see everybody today. How's everyone doing? Wow. I know it's, <laughs> it's like sapped. Okay. Well, listen, um, guys, I'm hoping that over the course of this uh, particular Sunday, even though it's hot, we'll get hyped for God, <laughs> okay, and express our love, devotion, and give him our, not only our heart, mind, and soul, but our strength. Amen? So we love him with all of these things, and we give it to him because he's first given it to us. So even though you come into a place where it's a challenge to give God all that's within you, we do it anyway, right? We do it anyway because not only is he the one who set the example, but he is the one who empowers us to do so. So if I don't know um, know you yet, my name is Roland, and I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for coming and worshiping the living God with us, the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. And what we've been doing over the course of the past several weeks is we've been going through a series called the Joshua Generation. And if you've never heard of the Joshua Generation, all we're describing is basically what we can learn from the book of Joshua, which was an Old Testament book of the Bible, which was giving a picture of the Israelites coming out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt into the promised land, the promised life that God had for them and what principles through looking forward to the fulfillment of these things in Jesus can we apply to our lives as we live here in this city to actually love him, serve him, and honor him with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. And so if today you have a Bible, we're going to jump right into it because we're going to talk in our third part of this series talking about your hiding place. Okay, your hiding place. Uh, whenever we uh, went through the first chapter of Joshua, we talked about really God's charge to his people of Israel, which says, if you're going to come into the life that I have for you, you are going to need to, by faith, be strong and courageous, right? You're going to need to be strong and courageous, meditating on this word day and night so that you might be careful to do everything that's written in it. And as you're strong and courageous, then we talked about last week, really understanding that when we take our land, or, um, or as we take our land, however, in God, it's not enough that we focus on only our own land or only the promises that God made towards us, but it's also about those around us, right? So it's about those around us to whom God's connect us, connected us also coming into the life of God themselves as well, right? And so as we come into chapter two of Joshua today, what we're going to talk about is the hiding place, but we're going to talk about it in two parts, your hiding place and the scarlet cord of Jesus Christ, okay? Which is ultimately where we need to find our hiding. And to work to do that, we're going to look at the story of Rahab, who we'll later find was in the hall of faith because of how she responded to Jesus in her walk with him. So here we go. Joshua chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen for you. We're going to read a good chunk of this. It says, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Okay, so you see that the Israelites were coming out of slavery in Egypt and they were going into the promises and purposes of God. But we'll talk about this more later. But the first thing God said was, hey, listen, if you're going to come into the land that I have for you, the first place I want you to look at is that high walled up city, Jericho, that place, not of comfort and ease, but that place that's trying to keep you out. 
That place that's trying to keep the purposes of God out. That place that's not, basically, that's not compliant to the ways of God or the personhood of God. I want you to go spy that place out. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, who you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God of the heavens above and of the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, We will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them go down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Verse 18, I'm skipping down. Behold, when we come into this land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. Okay, so all of a sudden you see that basically God is saying the first place that I want you to take is this high walled up place of Jericho. And what you've got to understand is that to do it, before I send you to do anything, I always send two by two, people to go out and spy out the land that I'm giving them. So Joshua sent two spies into Jericho, and they went into the house of this woman named Rahab. They understood that there was a high and walled up place, but they also understood that they had to understand the dynamics of what they were facing if they were going to face it properly. And the people of Jericho, whenever they were spying out the land, they had heard reports about the God of heaven. 
They had heard reports about the God of heaven and earth, and they were a little bit alarmed by what they heard because they knew that God, they stood opposed to the God of heaven and earth at the time, the God of the Israelites, and that this God had worked on behalf of the Israelites to work signs, wonders, and miracles to bring them despite the resistance of the Egyptians and the army of the Egyptians to bring them through the Red Sea with mighty power. And now this same God was standing opposed to them. So all of a sudden they were scared in and of themselves. They understood that basically that if they resisted in the same way that the Egyptians resisted, judgment was coming upon them. But there was a woman there named Rahab. And she was not a woman of good standing in the community. She was a prostitute. And though she had heard about the reports, just like the other people of Jericho, she said, you know what? This God I've also heard is a God of reconciliation. We know that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, there were also some of the Egyptians who came out with them and were able to escape the wrath of God by joining by faith the Israelites in the journey that they were making. And so all of a sudden, Rahab had a choice to make. Who will I side with whenever the choice is mine? And the good news is, is that she made the right choice. She's like, I'm going to side with the God of heaven and earth. It does not matter what resistance there is in the rest of the city around me. I'm choosing the winning side. I'm choosing the one who's able to deliver from death those who trust in him. And God was basically saying to Rahab, as you put your faith in me, as the Israelites have, you will receive reconciliation just as they have. That's the good news. She was finding her hiding place in God. Some, however, still resisted. And what we always see is that no matter what you do in the city, there are going to be people who resist the God of heaven and earth. Everybody realize that, right? It doesn't matter how faithful you are to God or even what reports the people hear of God around you. There will still be people who resist even in the midst of the impending judgment to come. The people in Jericho heard of that judgment, but they still chose the wrong side anyway. Rahab chose the right one. We are encouraged to choose the right one as well. And in the midst of their resistance, what we find is that much like the people who surround us in the city today, they were hiding in false confidences. They were hiding in the high walled up city in which they found themselves. They were finding confidence in the great army that they could use to resist the small nation of Israel that was coming against them with the name of God on their side. But how many people know that ultimately, if we look a couple of chapters into the future, that was a false confidence? Because ultimately, the God of heaven would deal with them the same way that he dealt with the Egyptians. But the question then becomes, in our context, what are the things that the people who resist often hide themselves in today? What are the things that people find themselves separating themselves from the life of God from? Well, we've all done it at some point, and we can relate to the things that people hide in. Some people hide in their work. 
And some people hide in their favorite TV programs, right? Those are two extremes I know, but there are things that they distract themselves with, right? To think that if I don't pay attention to this charge that's given me, that I need to be reconciled to the God of heaven and earth, then it really won't apply to me. If I could just ignore this charge that's coming my way, whether I like it or not, then ultimately it will have no bearing on my life. Anybody realize that? That's what people do. If I just hide myself and busy myself with work, then I don't have time for faith, and therefore the implications of faith won't apply to me. But that's a lie. People try to drown themselves out with the TV programs that they watch. They binge watch. Why? Because as soon as they get home from work, after a long day, they're trying to escape the pressures of life, thinking that if I don't have to deal with the realities that are going to face me the next day, then these realities that the gospel is preaching won't apply to me either. I can just forget about them. Or what other things do people hide themselves in? Some people find themselves hiding in addictions or habits, right? Addictions or habits, whether illicit or through cyberspace. Some people hide themselves in relationships, right? Romantic relationships, especially in this city, is a big one, right? You could have a person who uh, like is going through something and then eventually they find somebody who will just listen to them, somebody who will understand, and then all of a sudden they go MIA, right? Has anybody ever had a friend before go MIA before whenever they got into a relationship, right? It's sort of like, where is that person? Well, they got absorbed in that which they thought could deliver them, but it became a false deliverance ultimately like it would for the people of Jericho. Now, Timothy Keller, when he's talking about making sense of God, he actually said that regardless of how people try to hide, a lot of times it's misunderstandings, misunderstandings of what they're trying to hide in that they ultimately are putting their confidence in that try to help them find themselves outside of the faith and purposes of God. But in describing this, it was, this was what was even a, a picture of my life, of what I was hiding in intellectually before I came to God. I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be a scientist. And so my father was a, a doctor before me. And so all of my hope and all of my confidence was in that which I could discover in the natural world through science. And I rejected faith because I thought that it was not coherent with science. But what Timothy Keller said is this, that the older idea of the body being bad and the soul being good, of the emotions resident in the body as bad and reasons as good changed under Christianity. Okay? What you saw was that these new views of the importance of the body, right? And so as a scientist or somebody who wanted to be a doctor, I had a high view of the body, right? I couldn't ignore the body. I couldn't ignore the natural world. But what I understood as I continued to study the hope in the gospel was that this high view of the body and the material world laid the foundation for the rise of modern science. And so though I was trying to reject the purposes of God or the life of God because of science, when I actually studied the life of God, I saw that it was the view of the body and the material world that actually laid the foundation for modern science. The material world was no longer understood as an illusion or simply something to be spiritually transcended. Continue on. 
nor was it just an incomprehensible mystery, but according to the Bible, it was the creation of a personal, rational being. Therefore, it could be studied. I'm sorry, go back. Therefore, it could be studied. It could be studied and understood by other personal, rational beings. What that meant is that basically if I could embrace this God, as the scripture talked about him, as there was testimony about him, then I would have a better understanding of that which I already esteemed. That which I already esteemed was understood properly by embracing the God of heaven and earth who created it all. And Rahab understood that. She said the coming conquest in her mind, the coming conquest by the Israelites became good news to Rahab, even as the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is good news to us because it contextualized all that she saw around her, all that we see around us. Luke Ferry was an author and he wrote an informative book called A Brief History of Thought that helped to illuminate the following realities that I'm about to share with you, which you can imagine would be mind-blowing for an ancient prostitute like Rahab. These are the things that she would have hoped in as she put her trust in the God of the Israelites. In the book, he continues on. In general, Christianity brought an unprecedented idea of the importance of the individual. And this is as compared to ancient cultures. For the Buddhist, the individual is but an illusion, something destined for dissolution and impermanence. For the Greek, Stoic, the individual self is destined to merge into the totality of the cosmos. Christianity, on the contrary, promises immortality of the individual person. His soul, his body, his face, his beloved voice, as long as he is saved by the grace of God. So you think about a Rahab, the prostitute, and the life that she led, led, or that which, what drove her to living that type of life, and her considering these types of promises in the life of God whenever she's being confronted with the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites. This becomes good news to her, does it not? It goes on. It also undermined the elitism of antiquity. The elitism of antiquity. Salvation for the Greeks had to do with philosophical contemplation, something only people with training and leisure could do. For Christians, however, salvation came through dependent, trusting faith that Jesus had saved them, doing what they could not do. In this sense, it was much more egalitarian than other kinds of ancient and classical thought. What that meant is that where Rahab was part of the leftovers of society in the midst of the God of the Hebrews who was coming to, yes, conquer Jericho, but also save those who would turn to him, this became good news to someone who otherwise did not have a chance. She did not have to hide in the things that gave her a false sense of hope or identity anymore. Isn't that good news? And for us, when we're trying to build false towers and false castles to ourselves that will provide comfort, security, identity, and ease, ultimately these are false castles that will come crumbling down. But God, who's giving us an understanding of his creation, says you can have a true and sure hope in me if you do it my way by faith. 
The cross of Jesus is the great equalizer for dealing with even things in our current society like discrimination, is it not? We're headed towards our new election cycle and woo, people get nasty. Isn't that true? Okay, well, am I the only one who's heard things, read things, or seen things? People get nasty, right? People get nasty. But the good news is that in the case of Rahab, she would have been, a sti- there would have been at least a stigma attached to her in her society. However, because the cross of Jesus is the great equalizer and the foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus was found in all that the Israelites believed and did, she understood that regardless of where I started, this grace that the Israelites were walking in, not because of their own goodness, but because of God's choosing, was available to me as well. Which meant that nobody had the right to look down on her. Nobody had the right to feel superior to her. As a matter of fact, if you look at the lineage of Jesus Christ, she, as a woman of stigma, coming by faith into the purposes of God, was part of the ancient genealogy of Jesus once she turned to God in this hope. And so because you see that the gospel becomes the great equalizer, there's no room for de- not only discrimination, but depolarization in the church. There is no room for, I'm sorry, polarization in the church. Sorry. Rewind that. There's no room for polarization in the church. There's plenty of room for depolarization, right? Because the great leveler is the God of heaven and earth who gives the same grace to every man and every woman who would come through to him. This is why we love the church of Jesus Christ. Once given the hope of salvation, though, what we see is that Rahab had to do some things. She had to do some things and take action necessary to keep faith alive in the midst of hostile territory. Though she was looking forward to the salvation that would come as the Israelites came into the land, she had to make some moves, right? She had to actually have some action taken to actually see that she would be able to participate in that salvation. What were her actions? Well, as we read in the story, she hid the spies, right? She was no longer going to hide in her identity as a prostitute. Instead, she would become part of the solution for the conquest that was coming in hiding the spies, For us in a hostile territory, I know know we talk about this a lot, but for us, the things that we need to hide in are the devotions that God's given us in the faith, right? The early church, Acts 2, 42 through 47, when they were responding to the hope of the gospel that Peter preached, they devoted themselves after repenting and believing the good news to at least five things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God, to the fellowship, which is a shared life with other believers, to the breaking of bread, which many scholars describe as the celebration of communion, right? The sacrament of communion, the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ, reminding us about what's ultimately important and what it's all about, to prayer. And coming together daily, it said they enjoyed the favor of God and praised him on not a weekly basis, but on a daily basis, 
they found themselves making moves to preserve the faith that they were finding themselves in. They found that if they could come together in fellowship, instead of hiding their sins and being separated from the life of God, they could come into the light exposing their sins and be freed from the sins that were trying to take them out. This is what um, Proverbs says. It says, whoever conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces his sin will find mercy. You see, there was no question about what Rahab dealt with. She was a prostitute, right? Everybody knew it. She lived in the side of the wall. It was all out there in the open. But for many of us, the things that keep us back from the life of God are the things we're still trying to hide. The habits we're still trying to hide. The things we're trying to keep private, being embarrassed, thinking that people will look down on me if I tell them who I really am or what I've really done. But the beauty of it is that Rahab was able to come into the freedom of God by saying, basically, I'm coming into the open. I'm coming clean with it all. I'm coming clean with it all. And when I come clean of it all, God will set my heart free and bring me not only into his purposes, but the very genealogy of Christ Jesus himself. And so for us, what is it that we're hiding today? What is it that we're hiding in today? What sin is keeping you from entering the promises that God has for you? When we by faith come out into the open and into the light, then we can gladly talk about Jesus. It said in Hebrews eleven thirty one, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been friendly to those who welcomed the spies. She arranged her life in such a way that she was going to be friendly to the things of God friendly to the purposes of God. When she was called on to participate in the life of God, she said yes. She didn't make excuses and say, well, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? She actually answered yes to that call. And that call was based on the scarlet cord that they told to have in her window, right? There was specific instruction about what she needed to do if she wanted to participate in the life of God. And when we think about the, the life of God, we not only need to think about what we found our hiding place to be, but the scarlet cord of Christ that was foreshadowed even in Joshua. Now, when you think about the scarlet cord, you ask yourself the question, why was it a scarlet cord? Why was it a scarlet cord that they told her to hang in the window? If she was coming out of her old identity of the prostitution, and she was coming into our new identity as part of the people, the redeemed people of God. Why that scarlet cord in the window? Well, if you understand that Jesus is the centerpiece of all of faith, right? People often ask the question, well, what about the Israelites? Were they saved back in the day? Well, those by who were looking forward in faith to the Messiah, yes. Well, what about us today? Yes, when we look back, when we look back to what Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has already done for us, right? Jesus is the centerpiece. And when you look back at this point um, into what the Israelites had already experienced, the scarlet cord would have reminded them of the what? Passover. The Passover. The Passover that had come. That God said, listen, I'm going to, in this final judgment against Israel, pass over 
your house if I see the blood on the doors. If I see the blood on the doors and you find your hiding place within that home, I'm going to pass over your life so that you could come into the life of God. Wherever I see that blood, wherever I see that blood. And so wherever God saw the blood, when the destroying angel came through Egypt, he passed over the Israelites' house when he saw the blood. The scarlet cord would have reminded them of that. Looking forward to the Christian, what does the scarlet cord represent for us? The scarlet blood of our Passover lamb. The scarlet blood of our Passover lamb. Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed at the Passover so that by us, by faith, associating with what he's done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, there's also a passing over of the wrath of God that should be against us, but is no longer against us because of the scarlet cord hanging in our lives. There's both a looking back and a looking forward to that which he's done. And it's all wrapped up in the person of who he is. What we need to do, though, is just like Rahab received the instruction for the scarlet cord. Because here's the thing. Many people start the race, but they don't necessarily finish strong. How many people realize that that's the truth? How many people have ever seen that before? People who've started the race but not finished strong because the worries of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth or the desire for other things come in to choke the word, making it unfruitful, right? But there was a very specific instruction to the Israelite, I'm sorry, to the woman Rahab. She says, if this cord is in your house, I want you to get your family members, right? That's the good news. Go get your household. There should be, this gospel is for you and your family, right? You and your household. Go tell them. Tell the good news, right? That's what, P, um, what is it? Paul was preaching when, even when he was in prison. He said, believe and both you and your household shall be saved. Bring them in. Bring them in. Your family members, your friends, your coworkers. Bring them into the covering of that scarlet cord. But when, the scar- when that um, conquest is coming and somebody's in the house, they'll be saved just as those who are in the houses with the Passover lamb's blood will be saved. But if they leave the house, if they leave the house and all of a sudden walk outside while the battle's going on, then their blood's on their own head. You you hear what he's saying here? Then their blood's on their own head. If you walk outside of the covering of the scarlet cord, of the blood of Christ, then our blood is ultimately on our own heads. How many of you have ever heard of a man named Joshua Harris before? Back in the day, it it might date all of us a little bit, but there was a, a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. I mean, have you ever heard of that book before? Listen, man, there was, a, there was a time, there was a purity movement in the church where people, and some of you remember from your youth groups, right? Where people were taking purity pledges, saying, golly, I'm going to save my, I'm going to save sex for marriage, and I'm going to, you know, make my first kiss, my, the one at the altar and all that. Listen, all very good things. There were some, you know, uh, some legalism that probably kept it, crept into the church through it at the same time, right? Where people were like, 
didn't feel comfortable relating to someone of the opposite sex because they were like, well, I kissed David goodbye, baby, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, but what happened was is that recently we're praying for this man named Joshua Harris, author of this book, because he and his church back in 2010 started to go through a trial. There was a child molestation case that took place in that church. And what happened was is that he was a young senior pastor of this mega church, of this mega church outside of the D.C. area. And he was the, basically on the front lines of Christian, pop, the popular scene. And all of a sudden, he's getting buffeted by these things that he didn't even deal with. He didn't even produce, right? He's like, listen, I'm just trying to kiss Dayton goodbye. And then, like, you know, I wrote my other book, Boy Meets Girl, because I'm married now, right? And the, but he's dealing with all of this buffeting. And then all of a sudden, the, his mentor... His pastor mentor was right in the middle of the uh, scandal having to deal with it. And you can imagine the emotional buffeting that took place on his soul over and over again throughout the years. Trials, right? And what we often do in the midst of trials is look for something that will save us. Something that will deliver us. Something that we can hang on to that will quiet the raging in our own hearts, minds, and souls. And over the course of the next 10 years, what happened is is that he slowly began to not only recant his message of the books that he wrote, but now it's come to a point where he's renounced the faith and divorced his wife. Why? Because trial came, and in the midst of the trial, you can imagine. Imagine this. I want to associate this with what's going on with Rahab, okay? In the midst of the trial, right? Rahab's there saying, okay, I hope this, like, scarlet cord works. I hope they remember. And then all of a sudden, battles raging around her. Swords are going. Arrows are flying. There are all types of shouts. There's all types of blood flying, right? There's a cacophony, right? All of a sudden, turmoil breaks out. And you could imagine that in that type of situation, panic could ensue. Right? Has anybody ever been in a trial before and had begun to panic? Panic in life. It's like, I don't have the money I need. I don't have, you know, the relational support I need. I don't have something, right? And then you begin to panic. Anybody ever been there? I have. And the temptation would be to, in the midst of that emotional distress, run outside of the camp and say, I'm looking for something. Anybody will save me. But the instruction had already been given. Stay in the house. Stay in the house. Stay in the house. And both you and your family will be saved. Now, we're praying for Josh because ultimately, in the midst of his distress, he renounced the very house which God meant to save him. But what we have the opportunity to do is build our lives on the promises and the word of God, which says, not if, but when storms come to your life. You hear me now? Not if, but when the cacophony breaks out. You have a choice to make. Either go down deep and build on this word, build on the promise of the scarlet cord, build on the promise of your salvation, and not if, but when the storms come, it will beat against you, but you'll stand. Or 
Let the same storm come, which will beat against you. And because you do not put into practice that which you hear, like Rahab did, your life will come down with a mighty crash. There's a choice that we have to make in Christ. Either stick with him, come hell or high water, and then ultimately come into his plans and purposes, or choose to reject him in the midst of trial and therefore be consumed with those who are ultimately going to reap the consequences of their actions. This is the charge to the Christian. This is the charge to the believing and unbelieving world. He said, come under the scarlet cord of Christ. And not only come under it, but remain there. Because regardless of what you try to hide in, it's the only thing that will save you. It is the only thing that will save you. I have family members now who are on their fourth and fifth, you know what I mean, uh, like uh, fourth and fifth marriages. And I think that the, the good news is that God redeems. God redeems broken lives and broken marriages. But some of my family members who don't have God are still broken because of the results of what has been done before. But here's the thing. Rahab, regardless of what she did before, had the opportunity to live in the grace of God and call her family into the grace of God. So regardless of her past and regardless of what she experienced, she said something could be different from this point forward. And how many people know it was? My history does not have to define me. Isn't that good news? That's what happened when she came under the scarlet cord of Christ. She said, now I'm going to be defined by that scarlet cord and not what I did before. And the same hope is true for you in the gospel. You can come under the blood of Jesus Christ. You can come into the light. You can be washed clean of your sin. You can experience the forgiveness of God. You can experience the resurrection of life that's coming to all who are waiting for him, just as Rahab was waiting for those spies to return with that army that would conquer. This is the good news for you. Don't define yourself by your past anymore. Come out of hiding and into the grace of God. Repent today, do what you need to, to bring things into the light. And then from this place, learn how through the word of God to fight into that which he's promised you because of the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. The hiding place. Regardless of what we've hidden in before, he says, come on out. Come on out. The weather's fine. Come on out. It's much better here. Come into the light, and he'll cleanse you, strengthen you, and make, give you a testimony, much like the men and women of Scripture. Whatever you've done, it's not that bad in the sight of the grace of God. The grace of God is greater than all your sin or my sin but you've got to come out to receive it. And then when you come out, remain in that house under the scarlet cord of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's worship.